Hi, everyone. My name is Cooper Knowlton. I'm joined by my colleague, David Friedman. Um, this is Close, the New York City Real Estate Podcast. Uh, we are lucky to have Harry Callion join us today. Harry is a partner with Warren Callion, Maddox, Warren Callion and Maddox uh, with offices in New York and Austin, Texas. Um, the firm focuses on business law uh, and they have a specialty representing clients in the multifamily real estate uh, industry. Um, Harry also specializes in the hospitality world, alcoholic beverage law, cannabis, and entertainment. Um, Harry's also a, a leader in the hospitality industry himself. He's the co-founder of Randolph Beer um, and a number of other establishments in New York and Texas. Um, and Harry has also served as the general counsel to Bluestone Lane uh, since 2014. Um, did I miss anything? Did I get everything? Yeah. No, I think that's uh, <laughs> that works. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, appreciate you uh, taking some time. Um, so the the kind of one of the one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on is is uh, you know you you are pretty versed in kind of what's going on um, in the in the restaurant and entertainment sectors uh, both in New York and Texas, um, and and I think it's kind of an interesting time right now as we you know, emerge from the aftermath of, you know, if we, if, if we chatted two years ago and, and I sort of asked you to kind of take the temperature of what's going on in the, in the real estate world, uh, it would have, things would have looked pretty bleak. Um, but, uh, kind of wondering how things feel on the ground right now, specifically in New York, but I'm wondering if there's any kind of differences between what's happening in New York and, and what you're seeing in Texas. And, um, definitely, definitely curious about a number of topics related to that, but maybe you can just sort of start off by, by giving us kind of a big picture of like what, what the general mood and, and feeling is in, in those, in those industries. Sure. Well, look, um, with respect to, you know, to New York city, um, you know, I can, I, I can't really speak to the multifamily industry there. We don't really do too much multifamily in, um, in New York city. We do do mixed use representation, but our multifamily practice is focused on in, in, in central Texas and in Austin, the Austin metropolitan area, Bear County, you know, Dallas, Houston. Um, you know, the, the, one of the big reasons I, you know, came to Austin was, um, you know, I just saw so many New Yorkers moving here. Obviously, there was a lot of noise in it, and and you know, I in New York, we I was a volunteer housing court attorney for a number of years, and um, uh, I started, you know, we did a lot of hospitality work representing commercial tenants and you know, liquor licensing entitlements, um, sidewalk cafes, you know, um, commercial leases, anything, and and those, you know, we started getting um, these. Uh, these uh, these landlords would come to us and say, um, "Can you help us with the residential side?" And I got some experience doing that. And so when it came here, we you know that was the first that was you know ended up merging with the, probably the one of the most uh, uh, you know preeminent um, uh, multifamily residential attorneys um, in Texas, and we merged firms and 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 you know the, the rest is history. But but um, you know the the what I can say is New York City. Real estate is 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 exactly what they say. It's it's highly resilient. It's um, people all. There's always people who are naysayers. There's always um, you know. There's always it has a way of growing. I mean, I've you know I've been in New York City since 2003. You know, back then it was just Manhattan. You know, I I went to Brooklyn Law School, and um, you know when in those days when you lived in Brooklyn, you were kind of a you know you were kind of a, a pariah. You were you were kind of excluded at least you know in 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 kind of the, I, I, this, I guess the scene, um, it was, it was like weird that you lived in Brooklyn. And, you know, we always said that, that, um, 
eventually New York City would become more like London. It would become a city on on two rivers, you know, London is on two sides of the river. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So I think, um, I think New York city has, um, um, it's, it's just very resilient when the pandemic happened, you know, obviously the bottom fell out, people freaked out. I think, I think a lot of the kind of, it only takes marginal decreases in, um, in, uh, in, 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 um, in tenants, um, it, it only takes marginal decreases for New York City to feel it, right? Because it's such a big machine. Um, if you read Robert Carroll's book, The, the Power Broker, you know, the, the, it's just a, it's a, it's a well, it's a well known fact of anybody who's ever tried to run New York City that it's, it's, it's really, it's really impossible to run. You just kind of have to sit on top of a wave and just kind of direct it. Um, so I think, um, I think right now is very interesting. It's interesting how quickly things went from bottoming to, you know, all of these people moving back in and you saw residential rents spike and go through the roof. And, but it's a different type of demographic. It's all these young people moving there who get their chance to live in New York city. I think I read some article where TikTok pumped all this money in so that all these kind of influencers, New York city is now the TikTok influence capital, which is They're really it's so foreign to us. You know, we're, I guess we're old guys, old, old dads now, but, um, that's a different city than, than we, you know, came that than, than we had when we came to New York city, but that's okay. I mean, that's the great thing about New York's resilience. It's, it, it will become something else. Um, but you know, I think, I mean, does that answer your question? Um, to, I mean, I can keep going to, to speak to sort of um, where we kind of practice in New York city, which is um, hospitality. We represent restaurants and bars and um, you know, hotels, you know, um, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing, you were seeing a lot of activity, people getting FOMO right at the end of pandemic. There were, you know, we have clients, um, a lot of them saw the opportunity, had enough wherewithal and had kind of been through it. I mean, actually it wasn't just them. I and mean, we have some guys, I mean, we have, we have a couple of clients who are really young guys who are just, this is their opportunity to get, you know, and these guys took over places in the Lower East Side and just took big swings and got really cheap rents, you know, and were able to, you know, when there was this vacuum, they were able to come in and, and get these places. And then you sort of saw it the, when, when the pandemic kind of, I don't know if it's over, but, you know, kind of just first ended, I guess, at the end of 2021, all these people started trying to go big on it and you saw kind of a spike in commercial rents. But, um, you know, I think before the pandemic, I think everybody, you know, the, the sort of end of retail was the big, um, totally was the big sort of zeitgeist everything, all retail was ending, um, which is sort of true. It's just, um, I think people, you know, I think people realize you don't need a thousand retail locations. You need, one and then re you know your sort of retail footprint becomes digital and it moves beyond the sort of four corners of your door and it becomes more of a staging place so um i mean that's what we're kind of seeing we're seeing people doing um taking you know bigger spaces doing more with less and then really utilizing their sort of digital footprint utilizing those types of um platforms to sell their sell their um sell their brand where where do you see a lot of these companies moving towards and as far as like specific kind of locations? So whether that's in 
Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, you know, are you seeing new trends, new hotspots? You know, as a lot of people are now working from home, maybe more localized neighborhoods are starting to pop up and seem a little healthier. Maybe not. So just how far out are you seeing this go? Yeah, no, I definitely see that. And I see, you know, obviously Brooklyn has had a big, you know, what's happened in Bushwick was, you know, I was out in Bushwick way long ago. I, I'm a, you know, I own a bar out there called Wilson, 101 Wilson Bar. We actually just opened a bar in Ridgewood, Queens uh, called Jones Bar um, not too long ago. Um, and that's been an amazing success. I mean, people, you know, all those young people who got priced out of Manhattan, they got, you know, they got just priced out. They got priced out of Bushwick, which is unheard of when we were, you know, young. Um, they're all in, you know, they're all in Ridgewood. It's interesting to see, like, you know, with like Randolph beer, for instance, it's a, you know, we took more space during the pandemic. We have a big facility in Dumbo. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, 15,000 square feet with a big rooftop. There's Belgian feather bowling courts and games and, you know, big brewery and all this stuff. Um, you see the same thing sort of in, in, um, the seaport, you see it in, um, kind of Hudson yards, you know, that whole area. So what seems to be happening, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong on this, but it seems like with the the lack of return to office, these people are looking for sort of these bigger places to come actually do things in. I, you know, I, I think the kind of dive bars will never go away, but there just won't be as many of them. There won't be as many ramen places. There won't be as many coffee shops, right? Um, I think people are looking for connection, but they're also looking to do things. They're looking for like, you know, they're looking for bigger places. And then in the kind of co context of like um, sort of servicing, um, uh, uh, you know, um, businesses and big corporations and, you know, um, which was a big part of the hospitality industry pre-pandemic, right? There's all these grab-and-go places. There's all these coffee shops. There's all these, you know, I think that's going to be, um, that's going to be granulated into um, big box venues where you, you know, you're not going to have people in the office every day. You're going to be having, you're going to have people remote, right? And then you're going to have, um, you're going to have people doing big meetings, you know, once a month where they all get together. They ran a big facility. They do, you know, I think, I mean, that's what we're seeing from, you know, from that side of things. And I think, um, I think that's, I think it's going to move towards, towards that kind of stuff. I think a lot of the kind of I think it's, you're going to see less places, but you're going to see kind of more concentration within those spaces of, of things to do and, and, and products and offering. And again, utilizing sort of digital platforms to, to, to scale their brand. There, there was just an article that I read about um, how, you know, bidding wars on the residential side have been, um, you're, you're seeing more and more bidding wars in places like Ridgewood and, and further out places, right? It used to be that you'd see a bidding war on, you know, in the West Village. Um, but now now it's happening, you know, in Washington Heights. It's, hap you know, really kind of like further and further out. Um, and then you just mentioned that you you just opened up a place in Ridgewood. Is that is that trend also happening kind of on the retail restaurant, you know, ground level side as well, where where it is getting harder and harder to find a, a deal and more competitive in the, in the pricing, even, even further out from, you know, the, the Manhattan, uh, you know, just from Manhattan. I mean, I, as, as compared with um, during the pandemic, absolutely. I think 
I think there's just a lot of new entrants in the market. I think there's a lot of people, I mean, you know, on a call today of somebody is opening out in, um, you know, Crown Heights, you know, there's, there's, you know, and, and I think there's just a lot of people that are saying, look, it, it, it's, uh, I think there's just a lot more entrance in the market and they're filling up those spaces that would have been empty. So I don't know whether they're getting deals, but they're getting things at market. Um, whereas, you know, I certainly during the pandemic, people were, you know, people were afraid and they were, you know, there, there, we have a lot of clients who've got very good deals that, um, you know, the community boards where they didn't know what to do. They just kind of, you know, you know, rightly so, whether you agree or disagree with them, um, there's, you know, New York City, you know, the, 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 I don't know the statistics, but a large percentage of people work in the service industry. They rely on the income. A large portion of the tax basis for New York City comes from restaurants and bars and, you know, all of the ancillary service providers to these businesses. So the city can't function without them. So, um, you know, it, 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 you know, I I think the community boards are clamping down a little bit because, you know, and, and there, there has to be a balancing of interests, of course. Um, but you know, I, I think still they're being very, um, they're being a lot more open-minded and understanding about the need for, um, you know, retail restaurant, uh, well, I think they understand that retail businesses are gone um, or not gone, but they're, they're not going to be as plentiful because there's other means to, to get that. Um, but restaurants and bars and hospitality establishments, I think they understand the need for them and, and how essential it was to our city, you know, during the pandemic. So, so, you know, as a, you know, I know that you deal with liquor license uh, is, have you found dealing with the community boards, to be easier to obtain a liquor license or as difficult as ever, just considering the situation going on now? You know, are they more encouraging to bring hospitality into an area or are they looking to do investments in other type of facilities? Well, I, I, you know, I think they would like to see other types of businesses. Well, look, I'll, 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 you know, total, full disclosure, we, we, we are very careful about vetting our clients. We, you know, we're, we're referral based business. We don't, we only take referral clients. So, um, we, you know, we make sure we know, you know, we're, you know, we're very, um, upfront about our clients. We, we, you know, if somebody wants to do a nightclub in the West village, we're not going to represent them. There's plenty of attorneys who are probably better, better, um, suited for that. That's, that's just not what we do. We're, we're, you know, we're more partners in their sort of their, their whole business. Liquor licensing is just a component of it. Um, but I will say, you know, they're, 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 they understand the turnover. They understand the importance of these businesses. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're being a lot more reasonable than they've ever been. Um, not that they've been unreasonable, but they, they, they're, they're approaching the applications um, with um, the, with a sort of more, you know, a more, a more total picture. They understand the importance of these businesses in a way that they wouldn't have without the pandemic. Are, are basically rules and regulations in this space more or less back to normal? I, I mean, I know pandemic there was, you could drink on the street and the outdoor dining was, you know, free, free reign. And have, have they really started like dialing some of those things back in like sidewalk cafe permits and liquor license like is is it is it 
more or less back to normal or are there still lingering changes that that will maybe go on indefinitely as a result of of the pandemic well yeah that's a great question um it's it's look it's it's really easy to turn the faucet off right to turn the machine off it's really hard to turn it back on right so um you know there were all there was a whole suite of laws passed by uh, that were passed under Cuomo, but then they were signed in law under Governor Hochul. Um, and those, you know, included this temporary permit law. Um, if you remember, they they suspended the um, Sidewalk Cafe um, pro, the entire program, which used to be administered by the Department of Consumer, New York City Department of Consumer Affairs, is gone away. The Department of Consumer Affairs is now the Department of Consumer and Human Rights. I, I, I forget the, the name of the department. But they don't worry about um, I mean, they do the other types of licenses. They're not work. They don't do that. That program is not administered by the Department of Transportation, and it's still an interim program. So they still have that open restaurants program, but you know, there's a whole there's a whole process to it, which is there's no statutory. This is just it's just you know they've just made rules, um, um, and uh, you know there's a whole process where you have to get a Camus number and you have to get an inspection before they'll turn you on in the Department of Transportation systems. So you can get an open restaurant. So yeah, they're clamping down on it, but I don't think they're clamping down. They're just trying to get a hold of it and trying to understand what's going on with respect to liquor licenses. I mean, it's they're backed up. I mean, there's just a huge backlog. So they passed this temporary permit law, and the t- but the temporary permit law wasn't exactly how. Um, um, applicants and, and, you know, lawyers, particularly um, um, representatives, you know, understood it was going to be when they passed the law. They put all these rules in place where you have to have a 500 foot rule hearing first and you have to pass that. And only then can you get the um, temporary permit. And, you know, there were all these kind of concessions they made through negotiation, which um, kind of, you know, allowed this backlog to continue, yet... Um, with the you know understanding that okay you can get a temporary permit in New York City I mean before the pandemic before all these new laws took effect the only time you could get a temporary permit was um, as a meaning a temporary operating permit for a liquor license was if you were buying purchasing doing a bulk asset transfer for a business meaning buying a previous business and and replacing it or if you were outside of New York City. So the only time you could do it in New York City was if you were doing this, you know, a bulk housing transfer. So they they've removed that that language limiting it to just outside of New York City. But they put all these other rules in place. And so what's happened is that's basically pushed the timeline on out on actual getting permanent licenses. And there's this whole process whether you have to you know after 90 days of your temporary permit, you have to keep renewing it for 30 day periods. So there's, you know, very good intentioned um, rulemaking and, and um, lawmaking has led to all kinds of other bottlenecks. And, and, and you know, to answer your question, I think, um, I think that it's, again, it's really difficult. It's, it's really easy to turn it off. And I hope yeah. this is, I hope we have profited from, the experience and learn from it because it's really easy to turn it off. It's really hard to turn it back on. Totally. Is are the temporary permits more limited than obtaining an actual license? Other than maybe having to renew them, you know, is one with a temporary permit able to do the same things as someone with an actual license? 
That makes sense. Um, so, as far as for the liquor license and. Well, there are certain rules on it. If you're subject to the 500 foot rule, the 500 foot rule says that the, 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 the statute says you can't have three or more full light, fully full on premise liquor licenses within a 500 foot radius. And that's, you know, that, that's in a radius. And, um, and if you, um, if you want that, you have to go through what's called a 500 foot rule hearing and you have to prove the public convenience and benefits to, to an administrative law judge. And they'll write an opinion. It's not a, it's not a incredibly high barrier to, to, um, overcome, but you have to be able to prove the uniqueness. There's a number of enumerated factors that they look at to see whether you're, you meet the public convenience and benefit test. Um, if you're subject to that, um, as an applicant and you get a temporary permit, then there are a number of restrictions. You have to close by, I forget what it is. Maybe it's 11. You have to close by, you have to, you know, it basically, to be honest with you, it's actually a test. It, it, it functions as in proxy as a test for these businesses, right? There are businesses, uh, you know, that, I mean, this is public record. So there are businesses, you know, who have, who have, um, been, uh, uh, you know, issued temporary permits and then they get a violation and then their entire liquor license is pulled, right? So the application is pulled, they have to go through a hearing, they're delayed and yada, yada. Um, now, in the normal context, if you have a liquor, a full liquor license, it's actually, you know, New York State doesn't want and doesn't want to deprive anybody of due process. So there's a whole, you know, series of hearings they have to you know, they, you go before an administrative law judge, they have to, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a bill of particulars, there's a whole, the whole, if, if you get a violation, there's a whole process to it, right? And so, and that takes time. Um, in this context, with a temporary permit, they can immediately cancel the temporary permit, right? And then subject the application that's in process to all. So it actually is kind of a little more risky, um, you know, so, you know, it, but, again, look, it forces, you know, it forces you to, um, forces the operator to operate in compliance with, you know, the, the law and, you know, and, and that is, a, you know, these agencies are complaint driven. So, you know, there are people who don't, who don't do that. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it is something to keep in mind when you have a temporary permit, there are additional, um, you know, restrictions and rules you have to think about. Is, is this process, is the process of obtaining a liquor license, now you've, you, you started your practice in New York and now you're in Texas, is it completely different? Does it, does it make New York, or, or are, there, are there just as many, obviously it's different and there's going to be different layers of bureaucracy and complication, but is, is New York like unique in, in the, the different steps and the, the, the complicating factors or, or is, is every jurisdiction just kind of have its own set of issues that you got to learn and, and encounter? I mean, it's the latter for sure. Everything is, is different. I mean, I, I can, it's funny, everybody, I mean, we do, you know, again, we, 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 we function as business partners to our multifamily clients, as well as our hospitality clients. Um, liquor licensing is a small part of what we do, but everybody wants to hear about liquor licenses. They're, they're, it's, exci- it's an exciting topic. It's interesting. And it's obscure. It's obscure and it's niche and there's not a lot of, you know, it's, there's not a lot of, uh, it's, it's, it's a very niche practice. There's, there's not a lot of people who, who do it and it's highly important. It's essential to these businesses and hospitality is, you know, the hospitality is, oh, I think the sector grew, I don't know, Again, I don't know the numbers, forgive me, but 
grew like four, it, it outgrew like by four times the, 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 the closest other industry, right? Um, people are just moving in, in terms of employment, in terms of um, revenue, in terms of whatever. Um, I, I would say that they're different, but they're um, the, the, the structure of the laws. I mean, this all came out of, you know, uh, out of, you know, out of prohibition, the end of prohibition. So the, the, the sort of, they all kind of follow um, similar, they're, they're all sort of similarly structured. Um, but um, the difference in New York is that sort of, in, the, and this is with all, you know, you can see this with all jurisdictions. It's not the, the entitlement process, meaning like your certificate in New York, your certificate of occupancy, your, um, your, your letter of number, the DOB process, so to speak. That is not closely linked to the liquor license process of the administrative process, right? In other jurisdictions, you know, in in uh, in Texas, for instance, right? You're it's part of it. You have to get us, well, you know, like for instance, a, a city secretary certification, right? That requires an application for a permit, a certificate of occupancy. I mean, all of those things in California, for instance, there's a CUP process, conditional use permit process. This goes in tandem, right? And these things are linked and you have to have that. In, in New York, it's the, you know, and part of the Governor Hochul's suite of laws was to have a waiver of certificate of occupancy as well, right? New York City is just so vast and that the whole DOB process, certificate of occupancies in general were only introduced in 1920, 1928. So there's all these buildings that have not had substantial alterations, which don't require certificate of occupancies, at least under the DOB guidelines. So they're, 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 it's a bifurcated process and that causes a lot of confusion. You really need somebody who people will get, they'll get a liquor license expediter and, or they'll get an, you know, and they, they will go through the process and they'll end up and they'll say, I, what do you mean? I got to wait for a letter. I don't, I don't understand this. Um, I'm not approved. You know, it, it's, it's very, you know, and you know, there there's, and there's a lot of people quoting them all kinds of incorrect information on use groups and on zoning and on this and on that. So that process is a lot more cohesive and a lot more, um, intertwined and and interdependent in in um in the application process for liquors in tabc for instance or in, in california abc um but there are different complications so uh, you know that to answer your question yes it's it's the same but different so how what kind of regulations are you now then starting to see in the cannabis space uh, it seems like a obvious offshoot from the liquor space well, look, I, I'll say this. so. You know, they, the 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 um, the the OCM, which is the Office of Cannabis Management, is going to function similarly to the SLA, right? And it's you know, New York State uses the same kind of. I mean, you could be as granular as as like the system they use to process these things, right? If you go to do New York Business Express or the NYC Health Permit, you know, the Health Permit Portal. Um, or, you know, the D, any of these portals, they're all kind of the same, um, you know, I'm not a tech guy, but they're the same type of, um, I'm just giving you an example and giving you context for how similar the systems are. So a, a lot of the people who practice in liquor licensing or, entire, you know, DOB stuff or, or, you know, any DCA, whatever, 
in New York City, so representing hospitality businesses or alcohol businesses, are are also incorporating cannabis in their practice because it's going to be the, the rules are going to be they're I mean they're different rules but they're going to be promulgated in the same way it's the same process um, I I would I would reckon that it's going to be similar individuals in the organizations right so um, uh, I, I, you know the the I think you know and, and just seeing the you know the the um, conditional use the conditional adult use um, the, the, the card um, permit, which that was, that's the, um, that's the program that was just rolled out to um, allow for um, the, the whole, the whole cannabis system is about equity. I mean, I guess that's one place it does differ. It's, it's, it's really equity driven. Um, this card program is for people who have, um, who, who are, uh, who are justice involved, meaning um, they've had some kind of marijuana related offense for them or a spouse, something that's affected them. They're really trying to, drive equity there and then you know um the 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 next kind of phase of this is going to be minority and business um minority and women owned enterprise owned business enterprises so they're really trying to make it a push for equity i think um administratively and legally it will be very similar to the other um to to liquor licensing um and ocm will function i think i mean i don't know but it it seems to be like it'll function similarly, like the, the licensing side, the compliance side, it'll function in a very similar way. Um, but the difference is it'll be very equity driven. I mean, I know that from the liquor license standpoint, um, it's difficult. I mean, when you're talking about going to stakeholders, going to community boards, for instance, they, I mean, I don't know whether they're doing it now, but in the past they have like, they ask about what kind of music you're playing. Right, what kind of cuisine you have, and if you say, "Oh, we're playing reggae music, or, or 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 rap music, or we're playing, you know, we're serving, you know, curry or whatever," they they get all flop. Where if, if it's like a French brasserie, they're you know they're they they get all excited. Now, forgive me, but I don't see a lot of equity in that. Right, I don't see a lot of, um, and that's how it's been. Right. I mean, I have my own problems with the Landmarks Commission. I don't, I, I you know, we, we can have a, a, a fine discussion about um, the merits of it or, or the, the implications of having something like that and um, on housing and on, on equitable housing, um, affordable housing. Um, but I think um, that has been something that's been missing from the liquor license process, particularly with community board involvement. Um, I think it's getting better. I think they need to do a better job of being inclusive. Um, but I think the fact that they're starting out the cannabis um, OCM and, the, and, and, you know, with this, with the, with the conditional use program and um, they're actually giving these people an opportunity. Um, uh, you know, I'm a minority as well. So, um, um, you know, giving, giving an opportunity for um, in, inclusion and diversity within that um, industry, I think is a, is a, is a great, um, is a great step and it also distinguishes it from other programs, you know? So I got, I got one more question for you. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, you, you left New York or you didn't leave New York, but you opened up a firm in, uh, or a branch of your firm in, in Austin a couple of years ago and everyone thought you were crazy for, for leaving a, an established practice in New York and, and going to Texas. Um, where, where is everyone, you, you, you sort of were ahead of the curve. Where is everyone from Austin, uh, moving to next and, and where's the, where's the third office going to be? 
Um, well, we uh, we actually have had a couple of meetings about opening an office in Hyderabad, India. I mean, there's lots of um, Indian Americans all throughout Texas. You wouldn't right. believe That's it. I didn't know this, but Indian Americans are the like one of the largest um, pr- um, ethnically property owners in all of Texas. I mean, the largest couple, you know. Uh, um, so we're actually having conversations about opening a, 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 an office there. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, I we merged our firm. I came here five years ago. You're right. People thought I was crazy, but um, it was a, it was a lifestyle decision. And, you know, I never really left New York. We we're always, you know, I'm back, you know, all the time. Um, and we, we never, you know, um, never left a presence there. And we all, we have, you know, we have a bigger presence in New York now. Um, I think, um, I, I think, I think, I was right. And, you know, now all the New Yorkers, I mean, I know so many New Yorkers who have moved here and, and, you know, the, the, the purpose of it was I saw the movement and, and, you know, the same way I saw the movement in Bushwick and, you know, Montauk early in the days and um, Nolita, you know, my first bar was in Nolita and I'm representing all those guys down in, in lower Manhattan, East, uh, you know, down, down by the Bowery. Um, I think, uh, I think it was the right move. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one place that hasn't slowed down. It's, it's, it's going crazy. And, and, um, and we, we kind of shepherd a lot of our New York clients through here. Um, and it's, it's been very, you know, it's been very good for us. And I, again, I merged with, you know, probably the most, um, prominent, uh, multifamily attorney in all of, I mean, he, you know, he writes the, the, the Texas property code. So, you know, we teach the TIA Red Book seminar. Um, our firm does, we do, you know, housing discrimination seminars. We're, we're, you know, we're, um, so, um, it has been very, um, uh, uh, it's been very good, um, for us. I think, um, Austin is, uh, I think it could become a victim of, um, a lot of the other cities that people have tried to get away from, including San Francisco and LA and obviously New York, um, there is a, I mean, houses, housing prices have gone through. I mean, they've, I, I, you know, I've never seen anything like it and nobody else has. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, you know, uh, rentals, um, you know, people are completely priced out of the housing, uh, uh, housing market. Um, so, you know, the rental market's out of control. Obviously that's, that's, you know, we represent the rental property owners. So, um, but I, we do see a lot of movement moving kind of to the, uh, particularly to the east side of Austin along, along the 95 corridor. I actually am opening a bar in Elgin, Texas in about two weeks with some, some, uh, some, some New York guys. Um, and along that corridor, there's a town called, um, there's Taylor, Texas, where the new Samsung factory is the largest, largest technology project in United States history. Um, that's that, that factory there. Then if you go down that corridor, then there's, there's Elgin where we are, which is a, this old t- tumbleweed town. Basically these are old tumbleweed towns that they're yeah. turning into these, like all these artists and, and yeah. musicians and, and, you know, super cool. They're moving out there and they're, they're opening restaurants and, and then if you go south, there's a place called Bastrop. I mean, they opened this 13-seat Adome-style omakase restaurant in like a Hyatt out there. And it's like standing room only, three seatings a night, like $200 a head. Like it's it's pretty wild. And the one thing you don't see, I mean, we had a we had a meeting with um, Judge Musselman here um, in, in, um, in uh, one of the justices of the peace here. And, you know, we had a long conversation with him and he was talking about the, the, the lack of uh, multifamily housing, the lack of rental housing along that 95 quarter. That's where all these people are moving to. I think there's maybe 
two or three multifamily apart rental units. So that's going to be a huge area of development. Uh, if people are listening to this, that's, you know, we are, you know, so speaking of opening an office, we, we, uh, we are looking at opening an office in Elgin to service um, people going out there. Um, uh, so yeah, that answers your question, I, know, I hope. But also, I mean, I, you know, I, there was just an article in, uh, I don't know what it was, but it's, um, I think sooner rather than later, there's going to be, um, they're going to combine Austin and San Antonio into one Metroplex. I, I think that that's inevitable. It's happening. Um, Elon Musk has talked, he's talked about creating an underground rail system between the two using that, you know, his, his boring company. There's been a lot of noise about that. I think it's inevitable. Um, if they do that, Austin, I think is 2.3 million. San Antonio is 2.6 million. You will now have a 5 million, um, you'll have a 5 million person Metroplex. Three hours north is the Dallas metropolitan area, which I think is, I don't know, six million, something like that. And then, uh, you know, an hour and a half east of Austin is the Houston. So now you have, you know, 30, however many million people within a, you know, three hour triangle. So um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a reason for it. So, All right, David, I don't know if you have any final questions. Otherwise, Harry, maybe you could just quickly... uh tell people where they can find you, what your, what your website address is and uh, yeah, go from there. Uh, sure. So our, our firm name is Warren Callion and Maddox. Um, our website is uh, Warren, W-A-R-E-N Callion, K-A-L-Y-A-N.com. Um, we, you can email us at, uh, you just go to our website. There's a contact sheet um, um, or you can email us at hello at warrencallion.com. We have an Instagram. It's at Warren Callion. I, we have a TikTok. Um, we, po- we post like we're, we're we're really fun here. I mean, we're we're you know we 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 think we're fun, and we go you know we we'll, we do like dinners and we do we do monthly dinners and we do outings and we do all kinds of like really fun stuff. So you know we're always posting. Uh, we're really trying to not be a traditional kind of law firm. We're trying to really treat this more like a you know fun place to be, and, and I, I hope we're accomplishing it. Love it. All right. Sounds well, good. I very much appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on, and uh, yeah, well, maybe we'll we'll check back in again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. For more on all things real estate and the law, subscribe to this and our other podcasts. Follow Bergstein, Flynn, and Knowlton on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and go to bfklawoffice.com. That's bfklawoffice.com to learn more.